Orthopedic robotics has changed knee surgery as we know it, but conventional robotic systems do not operate with a wide selection of implants, given they are usually limited to one manufacturer. That is why Think Surgical believes what has gone before is not what should go ahead. Think Surgical enables choice. They believe that implant choice in combination with state-of-the-art technology is fundamental for surgeons, hospital systems, and patients. Think Surgical's T-Mini miniature handheld wireless robotic system has unlocked the implant from the robot. Just think of the possibilities when implant decisions are made by you, not for you. Please visit thinksurgical.com, that is T-H-I-N-K, surgical.com, to learn more about the democratization of Total Knee Robotics, led by Think Surgical. Okay, here we are at OSET. We just interviewed Bob Barciero, who, when I think of Bob Barciero, I think of there is no case too complicated. He will say yes to everything. Uh, he's just an amazing spirit. He's been in practice for nearly 40 years. Uh, he was the team physician at the U.S. Military Academy in West Point. When I, you know, when it comes to sports medicine, he's had every single position among societies, including past president of AOSSM. He just has a really unique philosophy. Believes in open arthroscopic. Has so much to share. It's a wonderful episode. You know you're going to love it. Dr. Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro. From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where everyone knows we bring you the best of the best. We are super excited today. We're at the OSET meeting. Kevin Plancher's been kind enough to get us a great spot right here. We're interviewing some of the greatest orthopedic surgeons in the world at my favorite multi-specialty orthopedic meeting. Today we have Dr. Robert Arciero, who's an orthopedic surgeon who specializes in sports medicine. He's a professor of the Department of Orthopedics at UConn and is uh, director of the Sports Medicine Fellowship and is literally one of the most senior uh, and well-respected sports medicine surgeons in the United States. Bob, what a pleasure it is to have you on. Oh, it's fantastic uh, to uh, speak with you, Scott, about stuff. Um, me, it might be a little bit difficult, but I'm sure you have ways to pry it out. Oh, you're such a sweetheart. We're going to have a great talk. <laughs> You'd know that. That's what we love about you. Look, we always start at the beginning. So we like to say sort of like when and where, like, you know, where did you grow up? Were there doctors in the family? Was orthopedics destined for you? How did this whole process start for you? So my dad was a career soldier. So we, uh, family's from Rhode Island, but we moved all over the place. And I spent probably 10 years of my first 18 in a little town called Allegheny, New York, south of Buffalo, New York. My father taught ROTC at St. Bonaventure, and I, that's where I ended up going to school uh, ultimately. But... Um, what happened was I actually could throw a baseball pretty hard when I was a junior, and I was in the Western Regionals uh, as a high school baseball pitcher, and I was throwing about 85 miles an hour, and I felt a pop in my elbow, and this, this is 1972. Yeah, we, we weren't doing so, uh, Joe procedures back then. No. That didn't exist. So I got treated with about 18 cortisone uh, injections, yeah, sure. and eventually went to Joe Godfrey's clinic, the Godfrey sign, in okay. Buffalo. There you go. And his room was filled with athletes. And I said to myself, 
hey, if I can't be an athlete, maybe I can take care of them. And that's how it started. I love it. So that is like such a common story for our sports medicine brothers and sisters. You know, some sort of injury that happened early on in their life and their career, which sort of draw them in. And it was pretty obvious that we're the coolest of all the specialties in <laughs> orthopedics. I mean, sports medicine's where it's at, for sure. But no, I mean, that's a great story. So, so that's where St. Bonaventure comes in. So uh, did you do ROTC with dad at that time? Were you no, he, destined for the Army? Or? He, was, he was actually in Vietnam oh. and, uh, at, that, at that point, but I was one, the oldest of five kids, and I sort of felt responsible for you know, getting the tuition paid for, and I took an ROTC scholarship when it was not very popular. No, you're going to Vietnam once you're done with that stuff. Yeah. That's the real deal. I mean, that's not like it is today in peacetime. That's yeah. a major commitment. So, but did you wind up spending time, active duty as well? Oh, yeah. I spent 20 years in the United States Army. Fantastic. Um, but they did allow me to get a medical degree. And I, I tell people I'm not really a soldier. I took care of soldiers. But I, I wore the uniform. I was in the military. I had to take a PT test. I had to meet body weight standards. I had to have my hair cut. But um, I spent 20 years taking care of soldiers and cadets. That's absolutely fantastic. Now, you even, so you did your residency uh, as part of the Army Center as well, and mm -hmm. then a fellowship at, at uh, West Point mm -hmm. doing a sports medicine. Then you stuck around. Yes. And that's when you became a team physician for the military academy for, right. for decades. Yeah. So... You know, I, a lot of Navy runs through my family. My first cousin's a U.S. Naval Academy graduate, and I have these incredibly fond memories of the Army-Navy football game, which is truly one of the spectacles of college football, right? Just such an amazing process. Tell us about your experience on the field with that year after year. It had to have been absolutely phenomenal. Oh, it, 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 every year was phenomenal, but that particular game uh, especially ph phenomenal. We went through a five-year span where the total number point difference was 10 points in five years. So can I tell a story about yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, of course. And you didn't serve this up. This is just I love flashed it. into my head. Go for it. So I can't remember what year it was. It, it might have been 94, 95. Our kicker, you know, you know how football coaches are. You know, you've got to kick like 1,000 balls you know, or you're not going to be able to do it. So our kicker and placeholder on Monday at practice – their best friends get in a fist fight. And the kicker gets a fight bite. We have to take him to the operating room and wash out one of his MCP joints. And when is the game? So the game is Saturday. This is on Monday. In those days, you put the patient in the hospital. Oh, they were admitted for like three couple weeks. Of days, yeah, right, right? Exactly, yeah. So Thursday, we let him go. We'll flash to the, to the football game. There's 30 seconds to go. He has to kick a 48-yard field goal. Which is a big deal. Okay. Boom. Right through the middle. Procedure penalty. In front of 75,000 people, this senior cadet, 21-year-old kid, backs up five yards. Boom. Right through the middle again, again. To win the game. To win the game. Oh, what a great story. And so in the locker room, actually his name was Scott, too, his first name. I said, Scott, that... that like, you're a legend. You're, like, forever. You're, like, you know, Grant, Westmoreland, sure. Eisenhower, okay, <laughs> yeah. as a football player. And and it's so, it was, means so much. Oh, so much. To the and service he, men and women he, around the world that watched that game. And, and what he said to me was, he goes, Doc, I felt so strong. You know why? 
because I lied in a bed for three days and I didn't have to kick a hundred footballs <laughs> yeah, at practice. I love it. So I said to myself, maybe rest is good. Yeah, there you go. So it's <laughs> interesting. Story. You know, one of the things about the academies, which is always great, is you have produced some of the very important literature because you have a captured population of of these student athletes, right? So yeah. I think of shoulder dislocation, for example, right? Every time I quote the numbers to a family about their young child who has a dislocation, most of that came from the academies for the history and, and review of that. Tell us about that. So, you know, honestly, you got to give credit where credit is, is due. Jim Wheeler, uh, a senior partner of mine at West Point, pretty much taught me shoulder instability. When we, when we were at sick call... Some kid would say, hey, I did this the other night, and my arm went dead. And then I start asking the kid about neck pain. He's in the other room. He goes, it's a shoulder subluxator. (laughs) He subluxed his shoulder, just like that. So anyway, Jim said, hey, we put these kids in a sling. We rehab them. They go back to full duty at two or three months. They re-dislocate. Now we do an open bank heart, and they're out for a year. There's got to be a better way. Sure. So he's the first one to start. He scoped like nine shoulders. And he put Lanny Johnson's staple in there, which I wasn't going to do. But So he gave me the idea to actually look at it prospectively and compare, which is what I did. And, you know. Really important. Yeah. Super important, both and on, the, on the operative difference. and the non-operative side. So let's talk about that, because that's one of the things I wanted to bring up which is the evolution of open to arthroscopic surgery, because you grew up in a generation where the scope didn't really exist. I mean, we had Steve Snyder on the show, you know, in the mid-90s, I'm at Curlin Job doing a fellowship, and we put a camera in, we'd look around, but, you know, we weren't really doing a lot. Then J.R. Richmond and... and uh, um, Eugene Wolf come up with the idea of the suture anchor, which can be done open arth. So tell us about that because I know that you're, you know, you're a professor and you teach for the residents and the fellows. I mean, it seems like open surgery is becoming sort of a lost art, but yet you can still profess on that. So give us a little, you know, a story about that. So you know, like we were doing open bank cards, you know, for all of instability for sure. But I got to tell you, I put a scope in a shoulder to fix a dislocation in 1988. That's super early. And that was a primary dislocator because we thought there's no way for a recurrent dislocator or subluxator that the scope is enough. Yeah. We're not, we're, it's not going to be enough. But we, we, we were scoping every single shoulder before we did open. Sure. And I didn't go to arthroscopic stabilization till 98. Sure. But like all of us, we were, holy God, we can fix this now with a scope. So that was our hammer, and then we subsequently found out that, hey, it doesn't work all the time. And it's interesting, sort of the back to the future, we're talking about ACL repair, which I went through as an intern, scrubbing on cases. Now we're back to open techniques. And unfortunately, like you said, we're not teaching the open bank heart, but I still use it about 10% of my cases. Yeah, no, I think that's, but that's such a lost sort of concept, which leads me to sort of my next thought is when I think of Bob Arciero, I think of like disaster plasty. Like literally there is no case that is not too complex or difficult for Bob Arciero to take on. And you've got 37 years of experience to draw from and you're at a tertiary care facility. And tell us about that. How are those responsibilities? Is that hard? I mean, there's not, I mean, who do you go to? I mean, it's Bob. You're the guy. Yeah. Well, 
I, I may be the guy, but I, I do have a couple of aces up my sleeve. Um, I'll tell you, you work at a state institution, and it may not be politic- politically correct to say this, but unfortunately our indigent and underinsured people come in with third world problems. Yeah. They have massive bone loss and seizures and no one's taking care of them. That's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah. So they come in and you get, you know, you know how to do an open operation and you learn over the years how to put bone graft in the humeral head and the glenoid. So, and we do it yeah. fairly, I don't want to say frequently, but more frequently than most, just because the patients that we see come in with really bad problems. But whenever I have, when I'm stuck, I'll send a patient to Russ Warren because mm-hmm. he's got like 55 years of experience. Sure does. Occasionally, I'll send a, a patient to somebody you had on today, J.P. Warner. Sure. Um, tap their brain. And now, I don't have to do it very often, but I don't hesitate to say, hey, I, I, am I missing something here? But, um, you know, and I, I do try to teach that to my residents and yeah. fellows. It's okay not to have all the answers, and you need to have somebody that you can trust to get another opinion. Oh, I love that. And the relationships that you've built over over the years through societies and things. And why not build consensus? Why not take the, the 30 years of experience from JP and add it to your 37? Right. You know, I think one of the things that will be really interesting as we move into artificial intelligence and orthopedics is can we get the brain power of Bob Arciero and JP Warner and and Russ Warren and Bill Levine and get all of their experience and put that into the computer and then be able to sort of help us to be able to make those decisions as we go. It'll be fascinating as we move on. Well, I, and I don't want to sound like an old man. Yeah. I think it definitely will help us. There's no question, but there's still the art and there's still the part of talking and examining a patient that will still, still can't be eliminated. It, that part and that those years of experience that you get if you examine your patients and you follow them up, I, artificial intelligence will not replace it, but will, it will be an enormous adjunct. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. You know, it's so, I always find it fascinating that, you know, I've been in clinical practice now for 27 years, and there's still days when somebody walks in with something that I have not seen before. I mean, it just blows my mind. And so having like my friends like Sharif Bechet and Paul Favorito, you know, my my colleagues from my generation, it's just so cool to have that ability to text and chat and be able to develop consensus on problems. So I completely agree with that. Which, you know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, your your involvement with societies. You're a past president of AOSSM. Uh, You obviously, you know, you come to all of the meetings. You're passionate about teaching and education. You know, where does that come from? Why is it so important for you to pass on what you've learned to the next generation? Um, I'll give you a story about one of one of my orthopedic idols, um, Bob Winquist. I trained on the West Coast. We spent a lot of time at, at Harborview and Swedish Hospital. And I'll never forget um, Bob Winquist saying to me, if you learn something or you get a lot of experience on something, you always owe it to your fellow orthopedists to help them out. And I'm not kidding you, one day we're in the OR and we get a call from an operating room in Ohio. And the nurse picks it up and says, "Um, Dr. Winquist, there's a guy in the operating room who says he's in trouble in Ohio. And he goes, Bob, I better take that call. So he goes over 
And he, the first thing I hear him say is, do you have a brace shop in your operating? The, the guy got a reamer stuck in the oh, femoral no. canal nailing oh, a femur. Sure. And this was like 1987. Oh, so God. nailing femurs and tibias were still fairly early. Yeah. And, you know, and I, that always stuck with me that, um, you know, we need to be willing to share what we know and, um, and what we don't know, to be quite honest, and be frank about that. And I, I, I really picked that up from him and John Fagan. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, I got to ask you a question. You know, how you doing? You know, your, your, your old married couple partner, Gus Mazaka, left you. I mean, are you, how you doing? I mean, the two of you. Awful. I, just be honest. I'm I mean, awful. I'm awful for decades. Awful. The two of you guys. I mean, that's what it was. I love them. I yeah. love them to pieces. Such I, I speak so to them every good. couple of weeks and. And I, I miss him. He, uh, Tuesdays, we operated next to each other. Yeah. We would bounce back and forth yeah. in each other's rooms. We'd scrub on each other's cases. You know, he said to me, uh, he was there 22 years. He said to me, it's the longest fellowship I ever had. <laughs> and, and he was being very complimentary. But the fact is, I learned a lot from Gus, too. And yeah. we just we're both incredibly passionate about um, teaching yeah. and about honesty. And, um, you know, sort of the no BS, like no BS, tell, that doesn't work, you know, yeah. stop it. No, that's what I think of from you guys. You know, it's like, you know, you're not the fancy guys. Like, look, we're in the trenches. We're taking care of the people. We take care yeah. of all of the stuff that no one else wants to take care of. Yeah. And this is how we do it. And so, we're proud of it, actually. Yeah, you should be. I mean, for sure. We'll have to, we'll have to get Gus on the show as well. But, all right, so I'm going to ask you two more questions as we get close to finishing up. And they're pretty basic, but what, what's, what's right with orthopedics right now? What, what gets you excited? What makes you happy waking up the morning about orthopedics and what you're doing? So well, I, I, I'm, I'm sure this is not a unique answer. Um, the fact that no day is the same. Yeah. Okay. And as a group of people, we love our job. And those of us who like to ask questions, I, there's as much, if not more, fervor for investigation and trying new techniques. Now, the, the caveat to that is don't jump into those techniques too early. Yeah. But, you know, I just, I just love the energy with how we're, we're trying to improve our specialty. Improvement, innovation. I mean, I even think about the ACL, for example. Sure. Five years ago, I'm an all-quad guy, but that's all I'm doing. Right. Nowadays, we got repairs, we got biology, we got the bear. I mean, it seems like what seemed to be so straightforward now is really creating nuance and difference. And that's why you got to come to these courses yeah. so you can learn from each other and generate experience from each other. All right, last question. What could we be doing better in orthopedics from a 37-year perspective in the so business? I, 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 this is a, actually an easy answer. I think... Because of the finances that are involved, how we're reimbursed, and, and all these things, I think we're not as collegial as we should be. We should love, I, this is corny, we should love each other. When's the last time you got a letter from somebody who saw a patient of yours saying, I saw your patient today, this is what I thought. When's the last time somebody picked up a phone and said, I saw a patient as a second opinion. We don't do that anymore. No. We just sign the patient up for surgery or, we, or we, we say something derogatory or something that can be misinterpreted. I think we need to be better. We need to like each other better and bring back that collegiality. That's the word that's, I was thinking. That's what we need. Yeah, no, And Bob. not just at meetings. 
No, in our actual day-to-day practice. Wonderful, wonderful advice, Bob. I love, I love this aspect of what I do because I get to talk to amazing people like yourself. Yeah, you're an orthopedic surgeon, but you know, there's a there's a a Hebrew phrase. It's called tikkun olam, which means to fix the earth. You know, and you're you're like you're a mensch. You're a guy that's out (laughs) there to fix the world, fix the problems, and take care of the people. So we can't thank you enough for your contribution to our country, for your service, uh, for your contribution of nearly 40 years to orthopedic sports medicine. Uh, what a pleasure it's ha- uh, have been to have you on the show today. Scott, awesome. I, 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 I love doing this. It's great. And you are a fabulous host, honestly. Wow. It, I don't know where it came from, but it's a pleasure to be here. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho <laughs> Show. Till next time. <laughs> <laughs>